right, guys, and welcome back to another edition of Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, and Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, Mr. Steve Ekstat. Welcome back, and Happy New Year, Steve. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, man. Uh, glad to be back. Short episode this week, a little bit. We're well, we'll not being here. Well, we'll see. We'll see how short it really is <laughs> once we get going. Uh, yeah, but it should be because this week uh, it's two episodes of Nitro, but one episode of Raw because we're going to kick things off with Christmas, the Christmas edition of Nitro, and WWF Raw did not run that week on USA, so it should be a little shorter than usual, but we'll see what happens here. We're also going to do the, uh, the results for Starcade, which should be interesting. Now, if we kick things off, we're going to get right into this. Uh, WCW Monday Nitro for Christmas night, December 25th, 1995. Of course, this was recorded. The week before in Augusta, Georgia on December the 18th, it's the go-home edition to Starcade, And Starcade this year is airing on Wednesday night, so we're only two days out from the pay-per-view. And it's Mongo with Santa Pepe here during the introductions of the Christmas episode of Nitro. And we go straight to the ring. It's Lex Luger. We just saw Lex Luger take on Marcus Bagwell in the last edition of Monday Warfare. And here this week, it's against his partner. Bagwell's partner, Scotty Riggs of the American Males. Luger toys with Riggs early on, but eats a flying forearm and takes a powder to the floor. Lex loves to do the stalling. Scotty Riggs works an armbar, but winds up on the apron, and Luger clotheslines him off right into the guardrail. Scotty Riggs back inside with a quick comeback, but misses a missile dropkick from the top rope, and Luger packs it in with the power slam and the torture rack. And the crowd pops, I assume, because it's Georgia. Uh, Luger's kind of over here. The torture rack's over anyway. Lex Luger gets the win in seven minutes. This match felt like it lasted longer than the Bagwell match. Yeah, it definitely did feel like it went longer. Some good offense. I think Luger did a pretty good job with the Mills the last two weeks, you know, giving him some offense, making him look good for a little bit. Uh, he, he wasn't against selling for him. They've been pretty decent opening matches that they've had the last couple weeks. Yeah, Luger's... Uh... Not stinking it up so much here in these shorter matches. These are the matches he should be having even on the pay-per-view. Uh, they, sh- they should keep that in mind moving forward here. And we go to Mean Gene Okerlund with Sting. Ha! Call the hotline! And Sting talks the triangle match at Starcade. Of course, that's Sting versus Lex, his friend. And, and Ric Flair, the winner of that match, will face Randy Savage for the world title later in the same pay-per-view. And Sting says Lex is his friend, and he's trying to straighten him out. Of course, Lex has joined Jimmy Hart and turned heel. Sting thinks he can fix that. Sting says he's no fan of Flair, though, and he would like nothing more than to get Flair in a Scorpion Deathlock and never let go. They even talk the World Cup for the first time. At least Gene brings it up anyway. Sting really doesn't mention his opponent. I don't even know if he knows his opponent. It's Kensuke Sasaki. And he really doesn't comment on the World Cup in general. So Mean Gene brings it up to try to make it a selling point to the pay-per-view. Sting's really not having much of it here. Yeah, absolutely not. It's unfortunate because they got to do something to help with these New Japan guys or else you're just you're basically going in blind here. Really poor booking as far as that goes. But, um, yeah, run-of-the-mill promo. I did like the end, though, when he's walking off and Gene's, like, asking about Luger again. He's like, Sting basically says you better stop asking or I'm going to stop answering type deal. And it's not over yet for Sting because he has a match here tonight on Monday Nitro. He's taking on Big Bubba Rogers. First time we've really seen Bubba on the show when Hacksaw Jim Duggan's not involved, so that's a savior in and of itself. Hulk Hogan is suspended, we learn, through the rest of 1995. You do realize this is Christmas, don't you, Eric? 
So Bischoff announces that Hogan's suspended through 1995. So another seven days Hogan gets off with paid vacation during the holiday season. I'm sure that's really pissing the Hulkster off here. Oh, I'm sure. He's very upset that he can't get that Starcade payday, even though, like you mentioned last week, (laughs) it's the same no matter what. So he doesn't give a shit. Fun little TV match here, back and forth between Sting and Bubba. Bubba, not as quick as he once was, but still a great bumper here. Really good bumps for, uh, bumping around the ring for Sting. Sting goes to the top rope. Bubba catches him, looks to throw him off, but Sting turns it into an inside cradle, gets the win five minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah, and not a bad match here. It's pretty fun. Um, I, I enjoy Bubba and Spurs, like these short, small matches like this. So uh, pretty good stuff. And there's plenty of promos tonight. It's promo time again. Mean Gene Okerlund, now with Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart, they're going to tell their side of the story. Lex talks his friendship with Sting and the triangle match and title shot, potential title shot, against Savage at Starcade. Lex says he's been friends with Sting for 10 years, so that would go back basically to when they first broke in, in completely different territories. I'm thinking Lex is taking liberties here with the amount of time he's known Sting. Anyways, Sting stops by, and he kind of listens to the promo a little bit, while Luger refers to himself as the uncrowned champion, pointing out that he has defeated Savage over and over again. It's at this point that Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman interrupts, of all people. He says he has no beef with Lex Luger, but he's looking for a manager. Pittman asks Jimmy Hart if he'll be his new manager. Hart has Pittman take his shirt off and then basically laughs at him while comparing him to Luger and ultimately turns Pittman down here. And I just thought to myself, geez, Talk about burying a guy. You can stop pushing someone without just killing their push dead. It's like, you know, when they wanted to take Renegade off TV, they jobbed him out, and then they washed his face paint off and revealed his real name on television. Now now they're making fun of poor Craig Pittman here. Instead of just turning him down, Bobby Heenan turned him down politely. Jimmy Hart's making a mockery of him here. I just thought, geez, poor guy. I, you almost feel sorry for Pittman. It's really killing what little heat he had left. And I just wondered to myself, Whose Cheerios did Pittman piss in uh, to get these spots on Nitro? These are very coveted spots to even be on this program in this one-hour format. And Pittman's out here almost every week now, and he's basically looking like like trash, to quote, to quote one of your favorite, favorite lines. He's just being humiliated, essentially, I thought here. Yeah, it's unfortunate because obviously he has room for improvement. He could have done better. you know. He, with time, I think he would have progressed just fine. He's almost reminiscent of Ranger Ross from the memory grenade that we talked about where they come in hot they have ideas for him and then they just get bored with it almost immediately they never get that chance to rebound and make something of themselves and at this point like you said this is the renegade just week over week where they're just humiliating this guy and Mongo turned him down nicely Heenan did but this right here like whoa whoa don't spoil it we haven't gotten a Mongo yet we haven't gotten a Mongo yet oh my bad Uh, Don't don't give away too much. I got some notes for that, so don't give away too much. I don't care that you gave it away. No, no, I was just going to say, I'm just saying, like, this one here, like, after this one, I didn't care at all because Pittman just basically got destroyed by a 120-pound soaking wet douchebag in Jimmy Hart. Yeah, this was not good at all. I don't know what they were thinking. And everybody involved knew better. They really did. But uh, the, the show goes, goes on, and we get our cruiserweight-style match of the week. It's Dean Malenko taking on JL, Jerry Lynn. Back and forth again, another contest, back and forth action. Jerry Lynn with the rolling senton to the floor, and then they go back in the ring. It's a bridge-up spot into a sit-out powerbomb by JL. Nice spot there. Dean Malenko comes back with a powerbomb pickup 
and then launches backwards, sends Jerry Lynn into a hot shot across the top rope. That was another fun spot. And then Dean Malenko with the gut buster off the middle rope. And I got to tell you, Steve, this is just one of those spots that live with you forever. I remember seeing this spot all those years ago as it happened, the gut buster, Dean Malenko delivering that off the ropes. It's a, it's a nothing spot in today's world, just a run-of-the-mill spot. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure people are like, what's this guy going on about right now? But back then, first time I ever saw it, and it was so snug, so nice, done by Malenko. It stuck with me for 25 years. So it really brought back memories when I, when I saw him do that here. And it looked like JL started selling his arm on the bump. So I'm not sure if he really suffered an injury there. I didn't see anything about it in the observers, but I almost feel like maybe I did read something about it. And this seems like right about the time JL disappears from TV too. So maybe there was an arm. It, it makes sense that it was a legit arm injury because Malenko goes from the gut buster into a rolling leg lock and he picks up the win here in three minutes and 39 seconds. But the entire time Jerry Lynn's selling his arm. Yeah. That gut buster, man. I remember, I don't necessarily remember it from 25 years ago, but I, I would say maybe about eight to 10 months ago, maybe a, a year ago, uh, I was rewatching the Nitros and I got to this episode and I seen that gut buster off the middle rope for the first time. And I, I remember texting my friend, I was like, dude, holy shit, Malenko just killed JL with this gut buster. So it, it's still like, it, it's still impressive even 25 years later after everything I've seen in wrestling between when this first aired till now, it still looks extremely cool because it's something that, it, like you said, it's real snug. It's nice, and it just looks painful. I know they're not really necessarily hitting the knee, but the fact that somebody's gut is driving into the knee while you're jumping off a middle rope and getting tossed over, basically over his head and dropped down, it's just something about it. It just looks painful. If it messes up, it's going to be bad news for whoever's taking it. So I think that's why it's still so damn impressive, man. I don't care. I can see nine. I can see the Canadian Destroyer off the ladder that Pentagon did at one of the AEW pay-per-views and this still looks a little bit more impressive than that that's how i think, I think this looks that's a little more realistic than that it's just very fluid and malenko looks i don't know that anybody else could make it look so perfect it doesn't really it's just so it's like a perfect move the way it's executed here i don't even know if dean could hit it again yeah. to make it look this great but i just remember it stuck with me all those years later I, when i saw this i um, i i know for a fact i'll tell you why this sticks out to me it sticks out to me so much. And people are like, why, why is this dude harping on this? But there's just, there's certain smells that take you back in time and you remember something. There's certain songs that take you back in time and you remember something. And watching this move, I remember this was Christmas because I didn't watch Nitro Live. And I remember it being on tape and me watching it later that night. And it was maybe midnight, maybe one o'clock when I watched it. And I just remember laying on the couch, just kind of watching the show. And that I popped up, holy shit, what did he just do? never seen it before so it was it was a pretty cool move there and i'm just curious if jl really uh injured his arm for uh for real as well definitely possible promo time once again and now it's mean gene with rick flair so we get all three members of the triangle match at least they're they're trying to push the the two other matches on the star k pay-per-view screw the first seven let's just talk about the last two here <laughs> this week it's mean right. gene with rick flair and flair and gene, we have rick flair out there party guy himself and Mean Gene in a Santa hat. I don't know. Something tells me it, it was party time after this show. <laughs> You're not wrong. So Ric Flair has Randy Savage for the world title tonight. So I have to question, what's the point of Starcade in two days if Ric Flair's getting his title shot today? Makes no sense to me. Jimmy Hart interrupts the promo. He apologizes 
for Kevin Sullivan, who interrupted the Horseman interview last week and basically threatened the Horseman because of Brian Pillman. Jimmy Hart offers to manage Flair for tonight only to take on Randy Savage for the world title, and Flair agrees. And I kind of wondered the logic behind that if I'm Ric Flair. I don't know if that's really smart. I mean, Jimmy Hart manages Lex Luger. Lex Luger thinks he has Macho Man's number, and we're going to the triangle match. So you would think that Lex would want to fight Savage at the pay-per-view. I'm not sure it's really wise for Flair to be mingling with other managers anyway. Yeah, I don't understand it at all. Maybe it's just like Jimmy Hart doing an olive branch. Uh, for what Sullivan did, like, hey, let me show you the, the the dungeons on the up and up. Let me manage you, and I'll show you what I can do to help you out, that sort of deal. But it also could be, you know, Jimmy Hart wants to ensure that Flair doesn't win the belt tonight. Like you said with Luger, he's managing Luger, and Luger has Savage's number. So maybe he's doing the old Jim Neidhart gimmick here and just making sure Brett keeps the title because Owen beat Brett once already. Luger technically has beat Savage maybe three times in the last month. Maybe Jimmy just wants to keep the belt on Luger, Savage because he knows Luger can beat him instead of Flair. So, And maybe you put way more logic into this than anybody in WCW did back in 1995. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if I did. <laughs> but uh, And that took two seconds. So um, it could have been very intriguing. And, sure. and we'll see what happens after this interview. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So we close the show with the main event. It's WCW World Heavyweight Champion Randy Savage taking on Ric Flair, and he does have Jimmy Hart in his corner. Savage's arm still taped up. As the match gets going, it's back and forth as Flair finally gains the upper hand on the floor. Lots of hope spots by Savage, though, throughout. Even tries a diving double axe handle to the floor, but runs right into a Ric Flair punch to the gut. Flair goes to the leg, and it's figure four time as the runover on Nitro begins. So we're running over even though when they're not going up against Raw, but I thought they did a good job here. Flair basically locks in the figure four as Bischoff announces that they're running over into the next hour of TNT. So if you're flipping the channels, you know who Macho Man is. If you're Even if you're a casual fan, you probably know who Ric Flair is, and he's got Macho Man in his finishing hold. So maybe you're going to stay tuned and watch that run over, even if you weren't watching Nitro prior to this. So not sure if it was really timed that way, but I thought it worked out well that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It definitely did. So Macho finally gets to the ropes for the break of the figure four. Ric Flair goes to the top rope, but he's a heel now, so obviously he gets pressed off. Randy Savage sells his leg, sells his arm, and he's just a big mess at this point. Back and forth again until Jimmy Hart grabs Macho Man's foot from the apron and Hart up onto the apron. Savage decks Jimmy Hart, knocks him off. That brings out Lex Luger, who attacks Savage for the disqualification. Match went about 18 minutes, easily the longest match in the brief 17-week history of Nitro thus far. Yeah, I, I really like this match. I think these two just have a natural chemistry. We've seen a little bit of it at WrestleMania 8, and it's kind of carrying over here. I know they had that long feud in, in 95 over the summer and, and things like that, but I, I never get tired of seeing these two go at it. Uh, they're both pros pros, and they can do everything in the ring. It, it, it's so much fun to watch, man. So we close the show with Randy Savage brawling with the the interfering Lex Luger. Sting runs in, and Sting clears the ring of Ric Flair while Savage clears the ring of Lex Luger. Sting and Savage bump into each other back-to-back and then trade words and shoves and slaps. Randy Anderson steps in between the two, and we've got to go, says Eric Bischoff. So even though Bischoff, he claimed he didn't care that they needed to go off the air during the 
the main event match, that, and he promised to stick with the show until everything was over. But all of a sudden now he has no more control and now we got to go. So it just didn't make a lot of sense there for me that Bischoff's making a quote 10 minutes prior that they can stay after as long as they need to. And then when something like this is about to go down, we got to cut away. So I get why they did it. And I, I give Nitro pro or WCW props here at the very least because they sold nothing about the World Cup, but this entire show focused around the triangle match, the wrestlers in the triangle match, and then, of course, Randy Savage, who they're all fighting uh, for a chance to take on for the world title later on in the pay-per-view. So at the very least, they sold the two big American matches on the uh, Starcade pay-per-view here. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not really, we're not really watching the Saturday night shows or, or syndication, so I don't know what they're doing on those shows to kind of push for um, the Starcade show because we're, we're zeroed in here on the Monday stuff. So with the one-hour show that is live, uh, they got to get the heavy hitters on. And I, I get it that Savage and Luger and Sting and those guys are in the tournament, but at the end of the day, the world title should be the company's number one focus. I don't necessarily have an issue with it too much with them just focusing on the big match because these are the matches that are going to sell the pay-per-view. That tournament's not. So you want to get them to get the eyes on the TV for this these matches, and then hopefully they come away impressed with all the wrestling that the Japanese folks are going to do and, uh, you know, the Eddie Guerreros and Benoit's and, and those types that are going to be on that show to get more eyeballs on them in longer matches. I really had no issues with the way they booked this show. Yeah, and we wrap up the show with Mongo saying he can't wait till those Japanese go back home with their tails between their legs. And, and that's how we end the go home show to Starcade teasing Savage versus sting. They're going nose to nose as we fade to black here for Starcade, but we don't get that match. And that makes me really disappointed because that was a good sell job to end the show that the potential. And I know they're not telling us that we're actually going to get Savage versus sting, but I thought they did a good job of building that. And instead we get the, the match that we just saw here. As the main event of uh, Starcade, my question here for, is for Randy Savage: Is all of this necessary for Savage going into Starcade? First, the Giant, now an 18-minute match with Ric Flair. He has ten on on the pay-per-view before he even defends his world title. Is Randy Savage a fighting champion at this point? Absolutely. But is this necessary given his legitimate injury? I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, probably not. I'm a doctor, I'd probably be cringing every time he goes out there, knowing the circumstances of his injury. At the end of the day, uh, this is all new, so they, they're trying to get big matches to kill, to draw ratings. It's the fight for their life, really, and it's all, like I said, it's, it's all new territory for everybody, so w this is what you gotta do, this is what we gotta do, and I'm sure Savage is gung-ho on wanting to go out there and fighting through it and doing what he can to help the company, but is it the smartest thing in the world? Absolutely not. I don't think so. So we got another brief run over here this week, which, why? Uh, there's no Raw. Uh, don't be greedy, WCW, and give away too much just because you can. I get it when you're up there against Vince McMahon, but they knew this week, and this is taped, Steve. They didn't need, they had all week to edit. They, they didn't need to, to run over here, obviously. And they did, and I'm sure the fans, you know, enjoyed it, but I just, uh, pick your battles wisely is what I would say. You know what I mean? It's just like, if you don't need to do a runover, why do it? Save it for next week. Yeah, they, how many weeks in a row they've doing done it? Like two already. Think, this is the third I week. I think this is the third week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unless they're trying to establish that this is the new normal, I'm with you, man. <laughs> if this is the new normal, they're going to do this every week. Then 
people get accustomed to it and then they expect it. So other than that, yeah, it's not very smart. I don't know why you do this. Just button it up and go home. Segment of the night, Steve, who you got? I like the Maliko JL match. It was it was short, so that's not necessarily the one that I had the favorite. Obviously, it's the main event. Uh, I love Savage and Flair working together. It, it never gets old. They're kind of like to me. They're the same as Flair and Sting. Obviously, Flair and Sting have that history because it's way back in the eighties with WCW and Macho Flair kind of started in WWF and kind of transitioned to here. So, uh, but I, I love these guys working. They can get in there and it's like they can close their eyes put on a hell of a match that's believable it's entertaining and you're gonna get what you want out of it this was no different yeah except for that one time where flair beat savage for the belt and vince mcmahon told him it was an awful match and to go back out there and do it again i'd love to see that one just how bad it me was. too i, I would too <laughs> if, it's, if it's bad where vince is making him redo it then holy hell how bad could it yeah. have been with them too that's talk crazy. about talk about breaking kayfabe <laughs> you go back out there and redo the same 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 match in front of the same crowd twice I would if I was sitting there, I wouldn't even know what to think. <laughs> so there's no raw for Christmas this week, Steve, and that means the ratings are in. Monday Nitro, unopposed by Raw, does a 2.5, which is roughly the same as it's been doing with competition. So although Christmas night ratings are traditionally weak. And there's no boost this week without Raw. They stay the same, even airing on Christmas night. So not necessarily a bad thing here for WCW. Yeah, not a bad showing, especially, you know, like you said, traditionally week on Christmas night. It's just interesting that they stayed flat. You figured they'd maybe pick up some of those Raw viewers uh, since there's no Raw. Well, you have to think maybe they did pick up some of those Raw viewers because I can't imagine every single Nitro viewer tuned in this week on Christmas. Somebody was, was, was celebrating Christmas somewhere. So I feel like right. some of the Raw fans probably did, and that's why they stayed steady. Is the way I the way I took it, anyways. The way I would I would yeah. see it. It's probably like half and half. Those diehards for Raw and diehards for Nitro probably tuned in just because wrestling was on. Uh, I know I was watching. Yeah, it's like I said. Uh, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I needed my wrestling fix every week as well. I, I but like I said, I remember watching this on a delay. I had recorded it and watched it later in the night, so I wasn't part of that rating either, uh, as far as live watching. But I did watch it. So you have to take that into account as well. But yeah, it was a fun little episode there as they go unopposed. So I guess the easy answer here this week for the real winner is WCW Nitro. Would you agree? <laughs> I guess unless something was better on TV. I doubt it. But uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I think the real winner here tonight, Christmas 1995 was me because I asked for money that year and I got money and I, I, I have no doubt that I spent some of it on the Starcade pay-per-view and I probably ordered some pizza and had a really good time. So, yeah, I say Nitro won, and I won, and Steve, I'm sure you won that holiday season as well. I probably got a bunch of Power Rangers if it was 95. Dear so God. I probably did win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh, it's, Lord. It's the new year, 1996, and we're doing WWF Monday Night Raw for January 1st, the very first day of 1996, taped two weeks ago on December 18th in Newark, Delaware. But it's not a normal edition of Monday Night Raw, Steve. It's the Rob. And now, the USA Network proudly presents the 1996 World Wrestling Federation Raw Bowl. 
Watch, it's finally here! The bowl game of bowl games! The stepdaddy with the mac daddy of them all! The band is playing! The cheerleaders are cheering! Coach Blassie has given his final pep talk! Dandy Doc is walking a lot! Jimbo Jim is waiting to talk! The field has been laid! The Raw Bowl Queen has been crowned! Four teams, eight superstars, will battle it out on one field, vying for the trophy! A galaxy of stars has been assembled! Big Daddy Cool! Yes, Diesel is here! Along with King Mabel! Gold Dust is here! The Nacho Man is here! Who? The Huckster is here! The what? Scheme Gene is here! Well, I got a bone to pick with that guy! Even Billionaire Ted is here! What's he doing here? They're all here for the very first World Wrestling Federation Raw Ball! Well, this is certainly not the RX Bowl! And it's definitely not the Fish Bowl! It can't be the Fiesta Bowl! And it's not even the Tiny Bowl! Welcome to the first ever WWF Raw Ball! Oh, that Vince McMahon from using the words Mac Daddy to Jumbo Jim. Uh, just a, a fun opening here for the Raw Bowl. The Lipton Brisk Iced Tea Raw Bowl, mind you, Steve. Yeah, I'm excited for the Raw Bowl, man. I love the <laughs> Raw Bowl. I didn't know what the hell the Raw Bowl was at this point in the show, but I was still pumped for it. I'll tell you that much. Vince oh, really yeah, did. He did this one up here really good. They had a band, a marching band, cheerleaders, a, a Raw Bowl queen. Uh, even a football-style Raw Bowl canvas for the ring, Matt. So very cool stuff. And Jerry Lawler's ringside, he's rocking an old Browns jersey, even though there's no more Browns, which he's a heel, so I get it. And I know Lawler is a, a, a huge Browns fan, but he, he's a heel at heart, number one. And he's even rocking that Ravens jersey at SummerSlam 96 just to draw the heat in. So we kick things off, though. We learned the Raw Bowl is four teams. In an elimination style match, basically they, they they tell you the rules as just the match as the match gets started. So we're just learning what the Raw Bowl is as they're announcing the participants. And I thought it was a nice little touch here as the guys come down, the tag teams come down. They're all wearing football uniforms. Some of them even have a little black black shoe polish there underneath the eyes. And uh, I, I liked all the numbers. A lot of most of the numbers made sense to me. You had uh, thirty eight and forty five for the smoking guns, different styles of, of guns. And uh, Owen Hart was number one, of course, and Yokozuna, 641. Razor Ramon is four for four-time Intercontinental Champion. Savio Vega has the word Uno on his because apparently Uno is different from the number one. We have to spell it out in order to understand it. Um, it's at this point when Razor and Savio are on their way to the ringside, the Goldust Usher presents Razor with flowers, and Razor immediately beats the Usher up with the flowers. And... Goldust standing in the back, the announcers say, Goldust is in the end zone. And Jerry Lawler calls it an illegal forward pass. So the, the puns are already starting, not just the football puns, but the uh, Goldust puns, if you will. Sid and Kid are out next. The kid's number is one, two, three. Makes sense. And Sid is double O, pretty much the only number I didn't really understand. Uh, is it double O as in nobody's home, or is that normally his softball number? I'm not really sure. Who knows? We We've even got Earl Hebner out there as referee in a striped referee shirt and a yellow flag in his ass. So they're really pulling out all the stops here. They cut away to an insert promo. Brother Love, for some reason, preaching love during the introductions. And we learned that every team gets one timeout. They can call a timeout any time they want in the match. That doesn't really work out so well here. We also learned at this point that the match is elimination style. You can tag anyone 
but physical contact must be made by the two team two men that are tagged into the match. We also learned that there was a coin toss in the back before the match, and Owen Hart and Bart Gunn start things out. Billy Gunn has to wrestle Bart as both guns are tagged into the match. But when they tag in, they do a couple spots, land on their feet, and they both run over and tag in both Yoko and Owen at the same time. And Cornette loses his mind on the floor. Great sell job by Cornette there. So we do get a little bit between Yoko and Owen before they tag out as well. Impressive delayed suplex in the match. Bart Gunn picks Sid up, and I was more impressed with Sid maintaining his balance than I was really Bart holding him up there. Really, really cool spot. I hadn't seen Sid picked up like that by an average average size wrestler. I won't say an average size guy. Bart Gunn's a big guy, but as for a wrestler, he's just your average size guy, and it was pretty impressive watching him hold Sid up there in a delayed suplex. Owen Hart nails the enziguri, the one that took Shawn Michaels out. Nails it on Savio here, and Savio kicks out. So I'm not sure if that was a wise spot to put into this match here. We go into a commercial break, and we come back out. Brother Love still preaching in the locker room to nobody. All four heels wind up getting heat on Savio Vega, but Vega manages to make the hot tag to Razor Ramon. Razor comes in and goes for the edge on the 1-2-3 kid, but the 1-2-3 kid calls timeout, and they have to stop the match, but Razor does it anyway. Razor's edge to the 1-2-3 kid, but he can't get a pinfall because there's a timeout involved. Earl Hebner throws the, the yellow flag for whatever reason. I don't really know what that means. It didn't disqualify Razor, so not really sure why. Uh, I don't really know what the fuck's going on at this point with the flag and the timeouts and uh, everything involved because Sid comes in from behind, clotheslines Razor, and puts the kid on top. And the 1-2-3 kid pins Razor Ramon about 11 minutes into the match. How long was the timeout is what I want to know because Razor's Razor's edge didn't count. But 10 seconds later, the kid was able to score a pin. These are very short timeouts, Steve. <laughs> when they're even being called. Yeah, it's it's a cluster. I mean, it's a, on on paper, it probably sounds like a good idea. Oh, let's give them timeouts so they can kind of stop a pin so we can keep it going. How do you handle that in the action? Like, how do you slow it down to – how can you basically tell eight guys to stop moving and stop doing what you're doing because there's a timeout right in the middle of the action? So it, it does. It, it's stupid now, but – the idea behind it was solid, I thought. But um, you got to distinguish what, how long the timeout is and things like that if you want it to work. Well, we don't have to worry about timeouts for the rest of the uh, match, that's for damn sure, because during the pinfall, no. when Razor's getting pinned, Savio's visibly calling timeout to the referee, but Earl Hebner's back is turned and he makes the count anyway. So even though Savio called the timeout, it didn't count. And Razor and Savio Vega are the first team eliminated 11 minutes into the match. Could they do more puns is what I wrote next to my notes. We're halfway through the opening match, and they've used about 807 football puns at this point <laughs> in the show. It was insane. I, I, it's like Lawler found a book at the library, and, I mean, they were using every single line out of it. At some point, I just tuned it out. Uh, I was just watching the action <laughs> and enjoying it. I was half listening to the commentary. So uh, you knew where it was going as soon as this match was booked and saw the new, saw how it was going to be presented. You knew the puns were going to come every two or three seconds, so you either listen for them or you just tune it out. <laughs> this time I tuned it out. So Match continues as the Yokozuna and Owen Hart get some heat on Bart Gunn, who finally manages to make a hot tag to Billy, who hits everyone that moves, including Jim Cornette off the apron. Billy Gunn runs the ropes but gets nailed with a kick to the back of the head from the 1-2-3 kid. They drag Billy Gunn over to the corner, and Yokozuna tries for a bonsai drop. But Bart pulls Billy out of the way, and Billy winds up tripping Owen in the process. Owen takes a bump in perfect position 
for the bonsai. And Yoko nails Owen with the bonsai drop. Great spot. Uh, well done. I'd never seen them use that before. And uh, I wish they had saved it for a, a bigger and better match than this. But I just thought, I thought the whole timing of the whole spot was nice as Owen kind of stood there next to Billy. Bart walks over, yanks Billy out from under Yoko's big fat ass. And Billy trips up Owen at the same time. And Owen takes the bump and lands under o- Yoko's big fat ass. And Yoko drops the, the bonsai right on top of his own partner there. Yeah, I thought this was awesome. It looked really, really smooth and clean, and Owen landed perfect. The bonsai drop was nice, and uh, this is kind of the continuation of the split there between Owen and Yoko uh, that we've kind of been seeing. Great, great spot. Awesome stuff. And Yoko does what he does best. He takes a bump out to the floor when Bart Gunn nails a drop kick, and Billy Gunn covers the flattened Owen and gets the win in about 13 minutes into the match and Hebner misses another timeout as as soon as Yoko hits the floor he's standing there calling timeout right in front of Hebner's face and Hebner misses it anyway so we've had three timeouts and Hebner's only seen one of them at this point and what good are these timeouts you need two referees out here maybe one of them would actually call it uh where's the instant replay they need to implement challenges or something here just really poorly thought out Hebner missing two timeouts one I get two that's one too many yeah, I agree. Uh, if you're going to announce it that that's an option, then you need to enforce it. You can't just mention it and then do it once and then hope everybody forgets about it. But uh, maybe it's just them making fun of coaches not getting called timeouts. So I think back then they made the rule where only coaches could call timeout, and so if the refs weren't paying attention, they, they could they got missed and things like that. So uh, I know it was a stink there for a while. So maybe they're just making fun of the NFL um, by them missing multiple timeouts in one match. The match goes on. We're down to two teams. That's the tag team champion, Smoking Guns, taking on Sid and the 1-2-3 kid. Sid winds up holding Billy Gunn for the kid to come off the top rope, but Razor comes running back out and pushes the kid off the top rope, which somehow causes Billy Gunn to move. I never understood that. Billy Gunn manages to move out of the way just in time for Razor to push the kid and land on Sid. And Billy covers Sid for the win here in another five and a half minutes, making the match go a total of nearly 20 minutes. So about 20 minutes here, a throwaway match, but fun. And it furthered the razor and kids stuff in the meantime and the tag team champions win. So they're clearly the tag team champions for a reason. Yeah. I thought it was a fun match. Uh, they're thinking outside the box coming up with ways. And I, I guess when you're coming off a week off, I know they hyped this pretty large, uh, the episode on the 18th about the raw bowl. They did it a few times and they had those commercials with Blassie. So, um, I thought they did a great job of hyping this show and it's a good gimmick type match to have coming off a break a week off so um i thought they did a good job and obviously new year's day is football bowl season those are the big games you know you got your sugar bowl and the rose bowl and those sort of things on january 1st so you got the raw bowl at night i liked it i thought the hype and everything beforehand like when i was a kid i was interested to see what it was all about and i enjoyed it and i know you made the comment initially this wasn't on the network and i always wonder why and it's like why isn't this on the network i want to watch it dang it i want to see the raw bowl and uh, finally they added it, and I'm glad they did. Yeah, I think initially uh, the NFL music was used here. The Monday Night Football music was used here, and supposedly, at least rumor online was, that's why it took so long to get it onto the network. It needed some further editing. I don't know how much of that is true, but that's the story I saw before it was finally added to the, the, rest, the remainder of the Nitro, or the remainder of the Raws. Makes sense. We cut to ringside with Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler discussing an upcoming press conference with Shawn Michaels where he's going to announce his future. 
Jerry Lawler says he's got it on good authority that Shawn Michaels will be announcing his retirement. So we'll have to see. And it's time for a halftime report with well, Dandy Doc Hendricks. And it's a two-minute drill, so they're using puns inside of puns here on this episode of Raw. And Doc Hendricks th- throws it to J- Jumbo Ross, who is supposed <laughs> to be interviewing Diesel, but apparently Diesel is not doing interviews right now. We do get noticed that the Royal Rumble is only three weeks away, so I was like, wow, man, three weeks out from the Rumble already. Insane. Yeah, coming up quick. Like With these in-your-houses, man, the timing between shows was a lot shorter than what they were just a year prior. So um, these big big pay-per-views catch up on you quick because you, you're selling that in-your-house in between them. And speaking of in-your-house, Steve, we get the hog pin match from in-your-house 5. And uh, you guys can go right now, go over to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, and join and subscribe the all-access tier. Now only $5 for all of our watch-alongs, the entire watch-along series, which includes all of the pay-per-views that complement our Monday Warfare show. And that includes In Your House 5. We just did the watch-along the other day. It's up and running. You guys go there, subscribe, $5, and check it out. But here on Raw, we get the hog pin match. And we're not going to sit here and run and detail everything that happened here, uh, because if you guys want to know, all you have to do is head on over to Patreon. But... There's just a few notes here. It was the, it was marked the return of Hillbilly Jim, who will end up managing Henry Goblin very shortly. We we both agreed during the watch along that great psychology here is Triple H tried to uh, avoid going near the hog pin, not because it was just filthy, but because the further away you were from the hog pin, the harder it was to be thrown into the hog pin, which is how you won the match. So it was good psychology by both, and Triple H did wind up backdropping Henry Goblin into the slop, into the mud, the the, the pig shit. And Triple H picked up the win there. Triple H also picked up a gash on his back that ran down almost his entire back, sliced open from the metal fence, uh, the metal fence, the metal door on the hog pen. And then Triple H winds up getting pressed into the pig filth as well and, and taking some comical bumps and doing his thing there. So it marked the end, unfortunately, of the Triple H Henry Godwin feud. So we'll have to see what ha- ends up with uh, both of those guys moving forward. But the only other takeaway I got out of this, Steve, is we don't get don't go mess with the country boy. We get that annoying WWE Network music for Henry Godwin, which is only second in irritation to me to the Rick Rude theme that we have on the network. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. It is what it is, man. <laughs> and next week we learn on Raw, we're going to see the entire match between WWF champion Bret Hart and the British Bulldog from In Your House 5, which was the main event. Also, Jeff Jarrett and Hakushi on the show next week. But let's go back to Brett versus the Bulldog for a minute here. How mad are you, Steve? If you paid for In Your House, you you popped that $10, I think it was $10, you paid $9.99, and the two best ma- arguably the two best matches on the show are given away for free over the course of the next eight days on TV, or the next two weeks or whatever on TV. At 10 bucks, I don't know uh, how mad on, I'm going to be. <laughs> but I, it, I'm going to be pretty, pretty pissed off. Yeah, I, I'm going to be pretty mad, too, because it, it just totally devalues your whole point of, you know, buying a pay-per-view. It takes away some of that mystique of it. I, I know we had this long conversation on the grenade with, I think it was uh, WrestleWar, uh, where they gave away, was it WrestleWar or was it Chi-Town Rumble? I'm pretty sure it was. Probably both. Was it? I know one of them, we we went in on it about how they just gave away all these big matches that were on pay-per-view over the course of three or four weeks uh, on syndication, no less and Saturday night. So this is no different here. 
I know the rating, like this, the buy rates for in your house haven't been the greatest. It's not what they anticipated. So maybe this was their way of, you know, showing people what they're missing on in your house. Right. And when you have a match, like a gimmick, like the hog pin match that you're never going to see again, um, that's a good way to sell your product. And then obviously with the blood and just the sheer violence, the look or the appearance of sheer violence, that was Brett and Davy boy. Again, another, another great way to sell your product. But at the end of the day, I would be relatively pissed off if I spent 10 bucks on a show just to get see the big matches for free. Well, like you said, over the course of eight days. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, I used to purchase all the pay-per-views back then. And I think what upset me most wasn't that I paid for it. And then I got it for free. It was that I paid for it. And now everyone else is getting it for free. That's what upset me. These, these cheapskates out there that didn't ever wanted to pay for the pay-per-view. And I'm not trying to knock people that really couldn't afford it. That's that's a great, you know, I, I feel great for them. But there's a lot of guys out there that probably could have afforded it and opted not to. And then they, they get it for free. And that pissed me off as a kid in, in, anyway. I mean, now I don't really care so much. I don't care if you want to watch this stuff on TV right now for free or not. I, I could care less. God bless you. <laughs> but back then, that really really <laughs> right. used to upset me that, hey, I just dropped nine ninety nine, or I just dropped 25 30 bucks on this pay-per-view and and they did this within your house a few times, gave away a lot of the matches on TV. It felt like they were just trying to fill time, too. Like, they really had nothing else to air. So this is what they filled filled in with the gaps and whatever. Because we saw it a while yeah. ago with, with uh, Bret Hart and Yankum from SummerSlam as well. And now we're getting some in-your-house matches here. But we'll move on with the show. No need to dwell yeah, on I, that for too long. I will say, I was one of those people that really couldn't afford it too much like i couldn't sure. convince my parents to do uh, you were, survivor yeah. series and then two weeks later and in your house so uh, i got the big ones like you know so many in such a short right. period oh yeah yeah it got it got crazy there and then ecw jumped in with six of their own and it was just really madness by that point but the show goes on and it's the our first look at the nacho man who breaks his teeth while eating a slim jim and it's <laughs> Back to the ring with Big Daddy Cool taking on King Mabel with Sir Mo, And I had to laugh at Jeff Hardy again. We saw him when we were doing the watch-along in your house. Watch-along, the Hardy Boys were some of the men that were carrying Mabel out on his big sedan. And here's Jeff Hardy again, his face right in the camera. Uh, 18, what, 18-year-old Jeff Hardy, 100 pounds soaking wet, carrying a 500-plus pound, easily 500-plus pound Mabel to the ring. And he's, he's selling the pain right into the camera. I don't know if that was a work or not. Poor Jeff Hardy here. Right away, the match starts, and it's Diesel attacking Mabel, and a big boot, and Diesel gets the win in eight seconds. Payback for SummerSlam, and then a jackknife to Sir Mo after the match, and it's basically here, it's bye-bye men on a mission. Mabel will return to work the Royal Rumble match, but that's it for the men on a mission. Otherwise, they're gone. See ya. Jerry Lawler attempts an interview with Diesel at ringside, but Diesel refutes, but he takes the Raw Bowl Queen. Ashley something or another to the backstage area with him. So who knows what Diesel? I didn't see her wearing any black gloves here, so I'm not really sure what's going on. <laughs> Maybe she's putting them on in the back. <laughs> oh man! Oh lord! And some other things too. Hopefully. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll move on. <laughs> it's time for the presentation of the Lombardi Trophy. That's Steve Lombardi, aka the Brooklyn Brawler. And I had to laugh at this the first time I ever saw this, Steve. It was really funny, really clever, whoever came up with this spot here. As uh, Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, shows up in the babyface locker room to present the smoking guns with a, a cheap-looking trophy, which is basically a cardboard cutout of the Brooklyn Brawler's face uh, on the front of the trophy. 
and the guns get upset and they destroy the trophy. And the brawler is not none too pleased. So he, I think he shoves either Billy or Bart and it wasn't a wise move as brawler was surrounded by baby faces and then attacked by pretty much half of the uh, baby face locker room here to end this segment. I, I thought, I thought it was a fun segment. I, I thought it was clever to do the whole Lombardi trophy gimmick here. And then at the end, of course, they got to get that brisk iced tea in again. So he gets a brisk bath. And uh, I think Vince calls it the first bath of any kind Lombardi's had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great, dude. It's so, it, like you said, it's really clever. I don't know who thought of it, but just tremendous. It's like your standard trophy you get at a trophy shop that's five bucks, and then Lombardi taped his face on it. But yeah, they 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 destroyed the trophy, and it was it was fun times. You, you didn't see the Brooklyn Brawler all that often at this point, so it was fun to see him pop up here at the beginning of '96. Yeah, definitely. We cut to the next segment where Vince McMahon promises a new name coming to the WWF will be part of the Royal Rumble. So we get a list of the names entered so far. It's Diesel and Owen Hart, Dory Funk Jr., because Terry turned it down, the British Bulldog, Savio Vega, King Mabel, Barry Horowitz, Yoko Zuna, the returning Tatanka, and supposedly Bam Bam Bigelow, who is already gone from the company, so... They probably had hopes to get him back, and it was a no-go here. Bam Bam does not appear at the Royal Rumble. And then last, as Vince promised, a brand-new wrestler to the WWF. The latest name entered into the Royal Rumble, the man they call Vader. And then we get an awesome Vader video here as he's working out and preparing. The only thing that threw me off was Vader bouncing around on a trampoline. That didn't really look like a badass thing to do. But uh, other than that, man, it was such a huge, huge deal when this broke, that Vader was coming to the WWF because those few months where he was gone from WCW but hadn't quite gotten to the WWF yet, all you did was wonder where he went. He was the top, one of the top stars of WCW for the last four years. So for him to just disappear, it was a big deal. And now here he is popping up for the WWF. I had high expectations for Vader upon this announcement. Yeah, I was pretty hyped for this. I, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't really start watching WCW and like consistently. I, I would go to my friend's house and he'd be watching Saturday night here and there. But for whatever reason, my weekends I was always doing something else. I, I never really watched TV, so I didn't really watch WCW that much until Nitro. And so Vader was kind of already gone when Nitro started. So uh, I didn't really see a lot of Vader. I seen him in Starcade '94, and I think that was it for the most part, uh, outside of some of the tapes I watched. But um, anyway, he he loved Vader. He would talk about Vader all the time, like how great he was and, and things like that. And then they ran this vignette. I saw him and I was like, man, this dude looks awesome. I, I was super pumped for Vader just because of how much my friend hyped him up. I couldn't wait to see him. And I know they do a great job of hyping him up even more so on the pay-per-view. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, when we get there. Yeah, this this vignette was awesome. I, I liked it. He just looked like a, a monster, man. And we close the show with our first look at Billionaire Ted's Wrestling War Room. It's the debut of Billionaire Ted and company here as Ted sits around a round table with suits and the Nacho Man and the Huckster. And Ted Turner wants new moves in the WCW. His suits show highlights of WWF finishers and Huckster and Nacho Man say they can't do any of these moves. When Huckster sees Shawn Michaels perform a move off the top rope, he quips, Brother, at my age, my feet don't leave the ground. And uh, Ted Turner, or I'm sorry, I can't I get in trouble there. Billionaire Ted asks Huckster and Nacho Man, tell us, what, 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 what can you boys do? 
and there's a, a brief pause and Savage and Hogan, or I'm sorry, the Nacho Man and the Huckster look at each other and they begin, Hogan, uh, the Huckster begins to cup his ear. The Nacho Man begins to spin his finger around, rotate his finger around. And the closing slogan this week is, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The new WWF generation on top of the hill, not over it. And I, I laughed at this one, and I, I kind of laughed when I watched it here this time. It got played out, and it was a little bit monotonous when this they tried to find a way to make this continue all the way until WrestleMania. But to see it here this week, this was the, the debut, and it, it became a weekly parody of, of basically Ted Turner and company. Um, they could get away with it because it was a parody, and parodies are illegal. And I'm sure there was. I'm sure if we deep dive into the Observer and stuff, there's got to be lawsuits or threats and, and things like that that went on once this started. But you can look back and, and call the whole thing hokey, and the segments were hit or miss week to week, absolutely. But when it debuted, it was still to me like, holy shit, that's supposed to be Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man on WWF TV. And they're making fun of them and admitting their existence on another show. So it was a huge deal when this first popped up. Oh, yeah. These are kids or whoever who look back and watch these now. They're, they're going to be like, oh, that's so stupid. It's so terrible. Without any context, yeah, I, I would agree. They're not the greatest things in the world. But you got to understand that this absolutely never happened to Vince McMahon. There's only one wrestling company in the entire world, and it's his. That's his mindset. That's his belief. And for him to acknowledge that another place does exist, and this is his way of acknowledging, this is just, it was mind-blowing. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> to put it into context for the nowadays fan, it would be the equivalent of right now, uh, if you turned on Raw, and it might actually get ratings after they did this, Somebody coming out pretending to be Cody Rhodes, somebody coming out pretending to be Jericho, making a mockery of them. Obviously, it would get a hell of a lot of backlash from the AEW fans, but people would be watching and people would be talking. And that's basically what this was here, really mocking the other company, mocking the former stars of the WWF. It was a huge deal when this first popped up. And like I said, the, the vignettes week to week, very hit or miss. A lot more misses than hits probably, in my in my opinion. But this initial one here, amazing just crazy crazy that this even happened yeah i think so too and not necessarily looking at the the importance of it or whatever you want to call it that we just talked about you just look at it they're not wrong <laughs> i mean hogan is Sav- not necessarily savage i will say savage was doing well, he was leaving his feet that he, could. he was leaving his feet even with a yeah. bad arm yeah he, he was, was working and, and doing things and i think the arm really hindered him a little bit but hogan right. was spot on man he was doing nothing he he was doing very little and he was swinging selling, chairs, swinging chairs and kicking, punching, just being very lazy, just collecting checks and going home. Like, so like when you see these videos of Sean jumping over diesel and doing his big splash and the razor's edge and the power bomb, you know, it was a lot of quick highlights, of course, but, uh, right. right. So like, but Sean Michaels and razor and those guys stick out and, um, they look different and they're actually working for the most part. And diesel debatable. Um, even Razor, but Sean, and you show a lot of clips of Sean, and heck, if you could even splice in some of that Brett Bulldog match from the night, the prior night, I mean, you could you could really compare and contrast, and you can see a huge difference in their main eventers compared to WCW's main eventers. Now, if you break it down and go down to the lower down on the card, obviously WCW has the advantage there, but um, just incredible. It's crazy, man, that they did this, and whew, shots fired from Vince, finally. You know, that's that's kind of how it felt. Yeah, it's finally yeah, done. Absolutely. It, it only took them to the new year, but there they are. 
think it was Medusa? Do you think that was the final straw? Uh, who knows? Because, you know, this was, I don't know this how long it took them. Uh, this had to be thought out in advance, you know. Uh, the, the, the billionaire Ted sketch stuff had to be thought out in advance and put together and scripted and everything. So who knows how long this has been in the works, but here it is, and it doesn't go away until WrestleMania. <laughs> I still remember the free-for-all match. Oh, Lord. I was let down. I was really hoping for something more than what we got. And then the Huckster changed. It was a different guy. I was like, what the hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I haven't watched that, I think, since the night it aired, because I never had WrestleMania 12 with the free-for-all since then. So um, (laughs) I'd like to see it again. But anyway, segment of the night. Uh, Segment of the night, yeah. So uh, I'm going to disqualify the Hogpen match because it was actually part of the pay-per-view. So that doesn't count. So you can't pick that. But anything else on the show, the Raw Bowl, the Vader vignette, Billionaire Ted sketch, what was your segment of the night? Uh, I got to go with the Raw Bowl. It was was different. It was unique. I I remember the commercials with Blassie, and I couldn't wait to see it. Uh, I was excited for Raw to come back on the air. It's definitely corny. It's cheesy. The puns get old real quick. It doesn't really hold its, you know, hold its mystique over the years. Once you see it once, it's like, yeah, that's stupid. But for 95 or 96 in this instance, I was I was really, really excited to see it. And just rewatching it every once in a while, it's always entertaining. But, um, yeah. yeah, that has to be it. Yeah, I probably I haven't just... watched the, uh, the Raw Bowl in uh, more than 20 years. So this is the first time watching it again in a very, very long time. And... I can't say it held up as the great, greatest action in the world, but it was different and it was something fun and it took up damn near half the show. So I guess I have to go with that too. Whenever something takes up half the show, unless it's really bad, it's probably the best thing on the show. And uh, I'll, I'll give it to the raw bull as well. The sad part of that is I think they could have kept in the tradition, maybe not a four way elimination tag match, but maybe bring out a battle Royal at the beginning of every year and call that the raw bull, just something fun to year to year. Back then, it would have maybe meant, meant something. I'm really surprised Vince ab- abandoned the idea after after one year. Yeah, I, I was thinking when this first aired, I was like, okay, this must be the new thing every new right. year. Yep. Uh, I thought it, I couldn't wait till 90. I wonder what they're going to do next year. And then 97 came and nothing happened. 98, nothing happened. So I'm, just, I'm wondering if it was just because it was January 1st, it worked, it was the brand, first day of the new year, things like that, and he just played off of the, the bowl games. Yeah, I thought it. I, I agree. A battle royal, maybe you know, later on you could adapt it into a four-way match for like a belt or something like that. You could definitely do something with it. Surprised he didn't with the BCS and how terrible it was. Like you know, we'll give you the match that you everybody wants to see instead of the shitty BCS system or something <laughs> like that. I'm, that's that's right up Vince's alley. But uh, I'm surprised with you. I, I, I thought this was the start of something yearly. We move on to WCW Monday Nitro for January 1st, 1996. But before we do, let's run over the Starcade results real quick. Back on December 27th, last Wednesday, it was still 1995. First, the World Cup Best of Seven Series. Team WCW was Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Alex Wright, Johnny B. Bad, Lex Luger, Sting, and the Macho Man. Team New Japan, Jushin Thunder Liger, Shinjiro Otani, Koji Kanemoto, Masa Saido, Masahiro Chono, Kensuke Sasaki, and Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Results went something like this. Chris Benoit over Jushin Liger. Kanemoto over Alex Wright. Lex Luger defeated Masa Chono. Johnny B. Bad scored a win by disqualification over Masa Saito, which was probably the, the, the worst match of the night. Talk about a clash of styles there. Shinjiro Otani 
over Eddie Guerrero in what was probably the best match of the night, if I if I recall correctly. And once again, you guys head on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. This is going to be a fun one if you guys want to check out this watch along. A little bit of great stuff and a little bit of bad stuff and a little bit of everything in between. Steve, I, I know you don't know a whole lot about some of these Japanese guys, but I'm sure you know uh, you enjoyed the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the show is it's different. And it, to be honest with you, man, I don't need to know a lot about a wrestler to enjoy their work. It, it, right. If you give me a random match of somebody and like, Hey, watch this. It's it's a five-star classic. Uh, I could watch that match. And by the time it's over, I'm probably going to be into it. And like, damn, I want to see more of that guy. So, um, yeah, yes. I, I can enjoy anything really, to be honest with you. It's unfortunate that they didn't incorporate guys like Regal or Malenko into this to have better matches than we get stuck with guys like Luger in here with Chono. But so we get Benoit over Liger, Kanemoto over Wright, Luger over Chono, Bad over Saito. Then Otani goes over Guerrero and then Savage comes back and ties things up for WCW with a win over Tenzan. So we're at three and three. And then it's Sting. Over U.S. champion Kensuke Sasaki, it was a non-title match. Sting gets the deciding win for Team WCW in match number seven in the World Cup Series. So WCW wins the World Cup Series here. Some of the matches good, some of them not so good, but fun show overall. But it didn't end there. We got the triangle match in which I was actually shocked when this actually happened. Ric Flair got the win over both Lex Luger and Sting, best buddies here in the triangle match, which gave Ric Flair the right to go on to wrestle Randy Savage for the world title at the end of the card. And, of course, Ric Flair became the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion to close out Starcade. And just uh, another quick note here, too, because it'll become important later on. There was a dark match aired with the one-man gang defeating Kensuke Sasaki for the U.S. Tag Team t- or for the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. And people may ask, why the hell did this air at the end of the show? And the, the reason was Sasaki refused to drop the belt. Uh, before he went back to Japan for whatever unknown reason. And so they did a match here where Sasaki actually wins the match, but he doesn't win the match. And what I mean is the gang hits the 747, and Sasaki actually kicks out, but the referee counts three anyway. So that's where the video ends on WCW TV. But if you watch the entire match, like it aired in Japan, Sasaki kicks out, he gets up, and he, he hits the gang with whatever the hell he hits him with, and he winds up beating the gang. But in WCW world, the match ended with the 747, and the one-man gang is the new U.S. heavyweight champion. Oh, Lord. So Sasaki didn't want to do the job on the way out, but they had to get the belt back anyway, right? Right. So they let Sasaki win without letting him know that he lost. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's why you don't put your belts on foreign guys. It it never made sense to me. Like, the AWA giving it to Stan Hansen. Like, uh, what are you doing? Only bad things can usually happen in that situation. Yeah, I think that was more of a money thing with Stan Hansen, though, in that in that specific situation. But I get what you mean. These guys are here temporarily, and you got to you know, there's a trust factor there. And I don't really know. I wasn't in the politics, but clearly something went awry, and WCW had to do what they had to do to get to get their belt back before Sasaki took off for Japan. And so that takes us to the new year, '96, and WCW Monday Nitro, and we're coming to you from the Omni. In Atlanta, Georgia, it's the first time since 1993 that WCW has been in the Omni, which is just crazy to think. At one point, the Omni is staple, basically the Madison Square Garden of the South, uh, for wrestling anyway, and now they haven't been there in over three years. It's just crazy to think how low the product got where they couldn't even run their hometown building. It's just crazy to think about. 
And as we kick the show off, for some reason, it's New Year's, but Pepe's dressed as Uncle Sam. I really don't understand the story Mongo's going with here, but I never really understand a whole lot from Mongo. We learn that Ric Flair is now a 12-time world heavyweight champion, and he defends the title tonight against Mr. Probation, Hulk Hogan. How do you like that for, uh, for a welcome back from Hulk Hogan? Gets suspended for seven days, and he's back in the first night. He gets a world heavyweight championship match against Ric Flair. Crazy. Yeah, so my notes here for that is, so he gets put on probation. He comes right. out the next week, beats the shit out of a referee on purpose after the fact, and uses the chair again. He ends up getting suspended for one week, and somehow he still gets a title shot on the very first Nitro of the new year. So what are we uh, re- rewarding here? Like outlaw behavior is just, it's just ridiculous, man. This is yeah, so I mean, stupid. He clocks the giant with the, ch- well, first of all, he interrupts a world heavyweight championship match costs a man legitimately costs a man, the belt, basically he costs the giant, the belt over Randy Savage. He hit the choke slam, went for the cover. Sa- uh, Hogan broke it up with the steel chair, nailed the giant damn near a dozen times with the chair, clock, Nick Patrick with the chair. Toss Randy Anderson down, nailed Doug Dillinger with the chair. We learn he got suspended for a week during the holidays, I'm sure with pay. And welcome back, Hulk Hogan. Here's your world title match. You didn't even have to wrestle at Starcade. Here's your world title match. What kind of message Just, does this send? I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chair out to the ring. I mean, if if I'm JL or Eddie Guerrero or <laughs> Johnny B. Bat, I'm just gonna go out there and go willy-nilly and beat the shit out of everyone, and hopefully I get a world title match in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's what they're telling you. Man, it made no sense. It's so stupid, man. So Randy Savage lost the world title at Starcade, so he can finally rest that arm. Or maybe not. To the ring, and it's Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Arn Anderson. Macho rushes in as Arn attacks. Now even Savage is throwing front leg kicks, according to Eric Bischoff, and no, you asshole. It's a fucking boot. Savage takes over on the floor. Double axe handle. Back inside the ring gets two. Arn Anderson takes over with a single arm DDT on the bad arm of Savage. Great stuff. Really looked good. The single arm DDT there. Arn removes the bandages from Macho's arm and works it over. Savage fights back, but Arn teases a swing. Savage ducks right into an Arn Anderson DDT. Beautiful spot there, Steve. Oh, yeah, that was great. This was a very entertaining match. I, I loved it. They yeah, great. It was, it, awesome here. it was great as Arn Cox back like he's going to nail Savage. Savage ducks, and he's the baby face, and he falls for it. And Arn hooks him right away with that snap DDT, and even the crowd has no option but to pop at the awesomeness of the Arn Anderson DDT here. But Savage gets his foot on the rope and breaks the pinfall. Macho accidentally shoves Arn Anderson into referee Randy Anderson, no relation, and... Randy Anderson takes the quick bump to the mat. Arn immediately realizes Randy Anderson's down, and he goes into his tights and pulls out the brass knuckles, the same ones used last night during the Savage and Flair match. But Savage steals the knuckles and nails Arn instead and sticks the brass knuckles back down into Arn Anderson's tights. Macho Man makes the cover, gets the win, 7 minutes, 54 seconds. Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit, the horsemen, are out after the match. Brand new Horseman t-shirts, by the way. They're dispute the finish, but the finish sticks. Randy Anderson says that the Macho Man is the winner. Steve, I got to tell you, man, I'll get your opinion here on the match. I mean, you already kind of gave me a little bit, but I thought in this match, Arn Anderson, such a special athlete when, when it comes to wrestling. The, the DDT spot here, that extra little bit that he adds, the, the, the psychology 
of it all. And then the spot where Savage shoves Arn into Randy Anderson, Anderson takes the bump, Arn looks down, and you see the look on his face like, oh, he's down. And then he digs into his tights. Arn separates everything and makes everything mean so much. It's almost like, I hate to take away from Arn by calling him a mime, but it's almost like a mime because he's selling every little point where you can read Arn's mind as he's doing everything. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal wrestler is Arn Anderson. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, man. I can't argue that. Arn's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time because because of that. He makes it easy. to. Some people say, you know, they're telling a story. And some people, it's hard to pick up on those stories sometimes. And uh, you sit there, you pay attention, you're watching. You're like, okay, what are they trying to tell you here? Arn makes it so easy to follow that story from beginning to end. And he does everything, like you said, with a purpose. Everything means something. He's every little aspect that he does in the ring is meaningful. And uh, he wants you to see it. He looks at you and he basically throws it at you. Like, you're going to pay attention to this. Like the fake right hand right into the DT. Just so I, I initially thought it hit him in the gut to kind of get him to bend over. Then I had to rewatch it. I think they showed the replay and they showed him faking it. And I'm like, oh, he faked him out. That was cool. You don't see that very often. And uh, it was just, it has made it even more awesome. And Arn sold a great Savage did his part there too. Um, but yeah, just a tremendous match. It, it's, it's so much fun. And I'm so glad that Nitro came along when it did. I'm going to speak for some of these guys here, but like Randy Savage, the Arn Andersons of the world, even Ric Flair, they weren't so far past their prime where they couldn't still be very good and very entertaining. They may be a step slower, but they're not like, over the hill where they can't move anymore and uh, i'm so glad you get these matches these one-offs that yeah they don't have a story behind them but still man we can get eddie guerrero and rick flair we got arn anderson and randy savage we got all these special matches that now are just even better than what you would even think of and you can go out and watch them um and it's just really cool man this is a great match yeah and without nitro we would have never got a lot of this stuff certainly not to the level that we got it here on TNT anyway. So it's a very cool deal as we move on with the show. There's a couple things I want to talk about real quick before we get to the next match. First of all, I really noticed as I've been taking notes and popping in all these nitros lately, everyone I'm sure knows anybody who watched wrestling back then, there was a guy who followed Hulk Hogan around to some of the WWF pay-per-views uh, dressed up, looked exactly like Hogan minus the muscles. He had the mustache and the do rag and, and the Hulkamania shirt and he went by the name Roddy Hogan. In fact, he's on Facebook right now using the name Roddy Hogan. I don't really know his real name. I'm pretty sure it's not Roddy Hogan, though. But anyways, I've noticed he's been on almost every single night show for the last several weeks in a row. And some of the shows, he's just all over the place. He's sitting against the hard camera. He's sitting in the aisle. He's, depending on the segment, he's in different seats. And I, I noticed Dave Meltzer had mentioned in The Observer that they were basically flying this guy in, using this guy, Hogan's idea, obviously, to keep a, a Hulkamaniacs in the crowd. And they were moving him around to make it look like there were multiple Hulkamaniacs, or like were this this idiotic through, throughout some of these shows here. Now, he stays put on this episode, but he's here again this week, and he's here for a lot of the episodes lately. Yeah, I've noticed him. I figured they somebody was paying him to come in. Um, I think this dude was there. I think he was there um uh, Survivor Series 91, if I remember right, when he was down, like, getting stretched out. They really went to him in the crowd. I remember seeing him. But, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I guess it pays to dress up as the Hawkster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how hard could that be? I mean, 
And then he gets gets this deal here where he gets all these free pay-per-view seats and they, they want him in the front row, you know, uh, for free, basically, free front row seats here. Hulk is really in panic mode at this point because not only is he getting Roddy Hogan flown in, into these shows, even on this show where Roddy Hogan's not sitting against the hard camera or facing the hard camera, there is a fan planted. I, he's got to be planted in the very middle seat of the front row facing the hard camera, decked out in all Hulk Hogan regalia. There's no other fans anywhere around him with any Hulk Hogan gear on, but this dude is decked out from head to toe. I think it's more than just a coincidence that this guy's loaded in Hulk Hogan gear. It feels like Hulk just doesn't know what to do. He's Like I said, he's in panic mode. He's basically forcing his image into every segment of the show, even when he's not even on the show. Yeah, it's crazy to think about that somebody in the stature of Hulk Hogan is in panic mode. uh, Yeah, it's crazy. And um, yeah, about not being over. It's crazy. I think if I remember right, I was reading the Observer, and this is this goes way back when uh, Cornette's lady was bringing some, brought signs. I think to the the mid, mid South area or the Tennessee area at one of those nitros, and they started confiscating signs. And I think they started passing out like Hogan signs and signs that they'd want on their shows, and basically forced these people to yeah not necessarily put them up. But if you're going to put up a sign, you're going to put up one that we give you. And I think they started giving out free merchandise too. So I'm not surprised at this. Like you said, this is just Hogan in panic mode, doing everything he can to show people that, hey, I'm still over, even though it's only one fan. Even Bischoff's behind it when there's a couple spots where they, oh, the crowd's going crazy for Hogan and all you hear is booze. Right. So, um, or, or nothing. There's no way. Yeah, there's nothing or booze. There's no cheering. I think the only time he got cheered was 19 chair shots later. But, uh, yeah, it, unfathomable to think five years after his run or whatever, he's in panic mode because he can't get over <laughs> I should also mention that Raw was taped, so during the the uh, opening match between uh, Arn Anderson and Randy Savage, Eric Bischoff announces the winner of the Raw Bowl is the Smoking Guns uh, in order to prevent people from changing the channel. And he does it again before the next match as well to really drive it home. So twice in the first 15 minutes of Nitro, Eric Bischoff gives away the result to the basically what's the main event of Raw. Oh yeah, it's, I can't remember which show it is. I know I took a note of it, but they did mention that they started a little early. Did you pick up on that on any of these shows? Huh? No, I did not. I did not. I'll have to look into the uh, look into the uh, observers like, or something. Yeah, I don't know which one it was. I know I I thought I jotted down as a note, but he kind of made the comment. Sorry, we had to jump the gun a little bit. We came on a little early, but when we had this much action, we couldn't wait to get into you or something like that. But uh, right. Maybe I was dreaming. I, I don't know. But no, that I, sounds I like something Eric, Eric says. I just it hasn't it, happened in my world yet. I haven't gotten to that episode yet. I haven't watched up. This is as far as I've gone. So huh. um, maybe I missed something. Yeah. We move on with the show though. It's Chris Benoit of the Horsemen now taking on Steve Regal, accompanied the ring by Jeeves. I guess they got to find a way to continue to pay Wildcat Willie until his contract expires. So we get Jeeves. Here, I, I think I like Sir William a whole lot better. As the match gets going, we see Hammer and Hank Aaron in the crowd. Of course, he's a Ted Turner employee and the guy who essentially got Bill Watts fired, or some may argue that Bill Watts got Bill Watts fired. Mongo, on commentary, says 755 home runs, ladies and gentlemen. Bobby Heenan replies, if he had listened to me, it'd have been 800. Classic Bobby Heenan line right there. Oh, yeah. If these guys were just allowed to do... What these guys could do, oh my God, what a match this would be. 
Really good stuff here, though, as they make even the simplest moves feel important. Regal with a really nasty variation of the chin lock that even impressed Mongo, who called it a chin lock thingy. I and God, that, and God, and God bless yeah. him too, because Mongo was actually trying to put it over. He just didn't know what to call it. That's why it really stuck out to me, because even my, it stuck out to Mongo the the move. He realized it was just a, a variation of the chin lock, but it was different. And so even McMichael mentioned that. Unfortunately, he referred to it as a thingy. <laughs> so <laughs> a man, a man of few <laughs> words is is Mongo. But the action continues, and Chris Benoit misses a diving headbutt. Steve Regal back up. Tries for a tombstone pile driver, but Benoit reverses and lands one of his own. Steve Regal rolls to the floor, but dodges a plancha. And Chris Benoit knocks himself silly as he takes the dive to the floor. Regal rolls him inside and makes the cover. Gets the win in 5 minutes and 40 seconds. A bit of an odd finish there. Yeah, it was definitely odd, but that, that thud of Benoit hitting the floor was <laughs> pretty, dis- pretty nasty sounding. I was surprised that he just, that was it. Like, he- I think he looked at him for a couple seconds and decided to just put him back in and pinned him. Uh, so I, I I'm assuming that was the finish. Um, right. It, the best part to me was he hooked the tights. Uh, classic kill movie. You know, he's the dude's clearly knocked out and you still hooked the tights. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think rule number one is a heel is <laughs> you cheat even when you don't have to. Yeah. Like the old Jesse line, when, if you can't lose, you must, but always cheat. Right. Absolutely. So if you ain't, cheating, you ain't trying. So uh, I thought that was hilarious, but yeah, this is a really good match. Some of these open hand slaps and just the uh, oh yeah, I'm sure neither one of these guys cared to just lay it in, make it snug and as real as it gets. He'll probably hit me if you want to. No, I they don't care. they had an amazing match at the Brian Pillman Memorial in 2000. It was uh, a classic uh, to say the least. Beat the living hell out of each imagine. other. You can only imagine that. I mean, I need to see that. It's out there. It's definitely out there. So Arn fell to the Macho Man in the opening match, and now Benoit jobs to Steve Regal. So it's time for an in-ring promo. Gene Okerlund with the Horseman minus Ric Flair. It's Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit. Pillman shits all over Benoit and Arn for losing just five days after Flair wins the world title. Brian implies Benoit is good with partying and the partying aspect of the Horseman, but needs to hold up the wrestling end. Chris Benoit says when he loses, it's pure luck. By his opponent. Brian Pillman then gives Arn shit for losing to a page out of the horseman's own playbook. Of course, meaning Savage using the brass knuckles against Arn. Arn tells Pillman their jobs as horsemen are about making money and protecting the world title, not starting fights with people that they have no issues with. Arn says that Paul Orndorff went further than it needed to and that they have no issues with the Dungeon of Doom. At this point, we see Kevin Sullivan and the Zodiac are out. They're trying to attack the Horsemen, but they're finally being held back by Jimmy Hart, and the Giant pulls them back, and they they live to fight another day. We don't really see anything happen here, but they continue to push this potential Dungeon of Doom versus Horseman feud, all because of Brian Pillman. So the Horsemen are two months out. They're two months old now, and Brian Pillman's already full go, 150% with his crazy gimmick stirring up shit and calling out his own teammates and all the works here with Brian Pillman. Yeah, I actually, I enjoyed this promo. I thought it was, I mean, I don't know who the hell Brian Pillman is to sit there and talk to <laughs> Arn Anderson like that. Yeah, he, that was my thought. He's been the horseman for, you know, the beginning. And so, it, but it makes sense. Uh, Pillman's the one not wrestling or doing anything. He's just stirring the pot and doing nothing. 
Is he injured at this point, or is he? Is this just a gimmick? Nah, just a gimmick. Just a gimmick. Because I think we've only seen him work one time, and that was that Eddie Guerrero match, and then obviously Lager early on. But um, no, I thought it made sense what they were going for. Like you know, coming off the biggest win for the Horsemen thus far uh, since this group got together. You know, Flair winning the title, and then Arn and Ben Walk come out and kind of shit the bed and go over two. So maybe they're just getting you know, resting on their laurels. Okay, we got the belt. Who cares about us type deal? Um, but I like how Arn turned it on on its head and basically said, we got to do things. We got to attack and make, make business decisions based off what we're going to get out of it. Right. What is it? Like you said, what's there to achieve by injuring Paul Orndorff? What are we getting out of that? Right. What are we getting out of attacking the dungeon? Like there's nothing there to gain, so why even mess with it? And that makes perfect sense too. You only want to go after people when it makes sense. You know, obviously you want to take out Hogan because he's the title holder or was at the time. Savage, he's the champion. Let's take him out. Paul Orndorff does nothing for us. So, uh, all in all, I thought it was really good from beginning to end. I just don't know where Pillman gets the authority to come out and question the horseman like that. And where's Ric Flair at in all this? Yeah, I think Flair's got the week off, isn't he? Or is he fighting Hogan here tonight? This is the Hogan show. Yeah, yeah. So, Flair's there. Flair's getting ready, man. He's got to wrestle Hulk Hogan. So, that's where Flair's at. And you asked if Brian Pillman was injured. Well, here's your answer. This week on WCW Saturday Night, it's Arn Anderson teaming with Brian Pillman to take on the American Males. Lex Luger goes up against Cobra, and that's it. That's the show. Can't wait for Saturday Night this week. No thanks. Back to the ring, it's Sting teaming with best buddy Lex Luger. They're taking on these super assassins managed by Colonel Rob Parker. I totally forgotten that Rob Parker was supposed to have managed the super assassins who are, in fact, the powers of pain, the former powers of pain, the warlord and the barbarian under masks here. And as the match gets going, Craig Pittman shows up at the announce desk and he wants Mongo to become his manager. And this just really confused the hell out of me because what does Mongo know about managing and, and what does Mongo know about wrestling other than that chin lock thingy anyway? So now this makes absolutely no sense to me because now Pittman's just asking everyone to be his manager. But Mongo actually does, I thought, a pretty good job of putting Pittman over while turning him down. He's, he, he, was, uh, he points out to Pittman, he says, you were a sergeant in the Marine Corps, a leader of men. And I thought Mongo did a good job, just told uh, Pittman to keep doing what he's doing, and, and eventually he'll succeed. Mongo, the voice of reason. <laughs> Who would have thought? I mean, he seems to be the voice of reason whenever we need him to be. Yeah, it's um, crazy. He's either, and, uh, he either yeah, makes sense or he makes absolutely no sense. There's no middle ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. And, you know, Pittman's reasoning was, you know, he had what it took to win a title on the, on the gridiron. So maybe he can parlay that into being a manager here to get somebody else to get that little extra of what it takes to become a champion, which is what Pittman wanted. So I thought it, at first it's like, well, okay, why the hell is Pittman coming out talking to Mongo? Like, that's all we need is Mongo to be a manager. <laughs> but um, the way he presented it, and like you said, the way he turned it down was very well done. He said, I got enough to deal with here trying to figure this out. I ain't got time to manage somebody on top of it. So, right. But he did put him over and actually gave him sound advice. You know, just keep doing what you're doing, and uh, it'll all work out. But So it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You know, Heenan did it nicely. Um, then Jimmy, Jimmy Hart. Hart just <laughs> sh- shit all over him, and then Mongo does it nicely. So it's just like, what are you trying to get out of this? Like, what's the end game? Are right. you trying to really destroy this guy or are you trying to build up his confidence? You know, like, cause Heenan and 
Mongo did that. Right. I thought, you know, but Jimmy Hart just totally derailed <laughs> all of it. Makes it pointless. So, yeah. Right. I don't know. So we go back to the ring for action. Sting and Luger taking on the former powers of pain. Bobby Heenan alludes on commentary that Rob Parker will propose to Sherry this week on Saturday night. But I started thinking, didn't he give Sherry a ring several weeks ago on Nitro? Isn't that what proposing is? I don't know. Meanwhile, Sting is taking out both members of the powers of pain on his own. But Rob Parker distracts the referee, allowing the warlord to press Sting into the air on the outside and drop him chest first across the guardrail. The Super Assassins take over as the Barbarian works Sting over in an over-the-shoulder backbreaker. Double shoulder block by the Super Assassins, and they get a two-count on Sting. It looked like Lex tried to come in to make the save, but he's just a little too lazy, and it wouldn't have, he wouldn't have got there in time anyway. Luckily for him, Sting kicked out on his own. Nick Patrick misses a tag to Lex Luger, so the tag doesn't count, and Sting has to stay in the ring. The Warlord with a big suplex as the Barbarian comes off the top rope at a combo move. That was something new from the Powers of Pain there. But Lex distracts to delay the three count, and Sting winds up kicking out. So the Warlord picks Sting up in the suplex spot, and then the Barbarian kind of comes off the top rope and clotheslines Sting in the midsection on the way down. So something different. We didn't really seen the Powers of Pain utilize that before when they were together as a team prior. So they're kind of trying to learn some new moves here in 1995-96. The Barbarian busts out a powerbomb as well but misses the top rope headbutt, and Sting finally manages a hot tag to Lex Luger, and the crowd makes absolutely zero noise. Lex comes in, he whips Barbarian into the Warlord, scoops the Barbarian up into the torture rack, then Sting comes in to help. He grabs the Warlord, locks him to the Scorpion Deathlock, and then we get a huge pop from the crowd as both guys have their finishers locked in on the Super Assassins, and the match is over, 5 minutes, 45 seconds. They popped pretty loud for that double submission at the end. I thought it was a very cool spot, uh, kind of like the one from the week prior, two weeks ago, when Sting did the Scorpion or the Stinger Splash while the other guy was getting pinned or whatever the case was. Uh, I thought it looked very cool. This was no different. Um, I will say, man, when Warlord took the clothesline over the top, right? Did you see? Did you see it? It looked like his back landed on the apron, like his head was underneath, under, like where the mat, the uh, the apron hanging is, like the cloth, and like his back and shoulder blades nailed the apron, and then he just kind of fell over. It, it didn't look good. Uh, I, I don't know if it was just him looking clumsy or what, but it didn't look very clean, and it, it looked like he hurt himself a little bit because I never seen somebody take a clothesline over the top like that. Normally they land face first and hit the mat a little bit like that. This one, he just landed on his shoulder blade somehow and then fell on his face on the floor. <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think, uh, we, how many times did you see the Warlord take bumps over the top rope? I'm going to go with zero. So I think this is just the case of Warlord trying to do a little more than any. Remember, he's been out of the, the business for the most part for years now. And so him doing this here, I mean, other than that stretch in the AWF anyway, him doing this here is probably just a way of him trying to keep a job, like trying some new things. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't really last too long for the Super Assassins. The Barbarian sticks around, but the Warlord's short-lived here for WCW. Hey, man, he took that, that bump like that at the Rumble 89 in like three seconds. True, true. That was that was Hogan, too. He, again, he was trying to work out a deal there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it just looked awkward. If you get a chance to go back and look at it, it's, it's pretty nasty looking. Right on. And it's promo time. Gene Okerlund with the Giant and Jimmy Hart. 
we see clips from Hogan attacking the Giant. You remember when he before he got suspended and came back and got this world title match. And so uh, Hogan cost the Giant, basically cost him the world title in a match against Randy Savage on Nitro a couple weeks ago on December the 18th. The Giant says that every dog has its day, and tonight is Giant's night. I didn't know what he meant by this. I felt like he just didn't know what he was talking about here. But the Giant basically saying this is not going to be Hogan's night. And, uh, hey, Hogan comes back from suspension and gets a world title shot. It's already Hulk Hogan's night. Every night is Hulk Hogan's night here in WCW. Well, of course. He has control over his character. So the Giant said on here, he says that Hogan has beat him time after time mentally and emotionally. (laughs) So I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, why in the hell would a seven-foot-tall Giant come out and say something stupid like that? Like, are, are you serious? How the hell can I take this guy serious if Hogan's beating him <laughs> mentally and animal, like, yeah. emotionally? Like, come on, man! I don't know who told him to say this. If he just thought of it on the on the whim, yeah, I've been I've what, been led to believe at this God. point that he's he's a monster. I didn't know monsters had emotions. Oh my God! Somebody should have uh, proofread the script there or asked him what he planned to say before he came out. Anyway, oh, <laughs> I was just like, man, I never picked up on that. Before. <laughs> to be honest with you and it, it yeah. threw me for a loop i'm like man he's it's january 96 and he's saying this stupid stuff about himself because of hogan oh lord <laughs> i can't take him serious and before we get to the main event we learned that clash of the champions returns here on january 23rd in las vegas nevada so we got clash of the Chan- champions upcoming and here is part of wcw it's one of the very last clash of the champions if not the last i know it's there's not a whole lot of clashes left before they go full on oh, pay per view month to month, right? They get into ninety seven. Well, it's still one of the last ones. Or no, yeah, it's one of the last ones. I know there's one with the NWO and that uh, what the hell's that? Movies for guys who like movies where they cook food during the <laughs> movies or whatever. Like that right, dude's right. on there. Well, we move on to the last match this week anyway for WCW Monday Nitro. It's the new WCW World Champion Ric Flair taking on Mister Probation, Mister Suspension, the returning. Hulk Hogan, welcome back from your your, va- your your holiday vacation, brother. And as this match gets going and I see Hogan across the ring from Ric Flair, I think to myself, they've got to be running out of headline matches already. They're giving one away almost every single week. You start thinking of the dynamics of who's across the ring from whom, and it feels like Savage has wrestled almost everyone. It feels like Hogan's wrestled almost everyone. It feels like Sting has wrestled almost everyone. They're really running out of new matchups, so they need to cut back here it's really going to cost them in the long run you would think anyway yeah i mean once you go to this well every single week i mean you still got you know 51 more weeks to go i mean you got to figure out a way to spread these out and make them meaningful if you're just throwing these guys in here every week one week one week of build like you're doing you're accomplishing nothing you're just popping a rating just think of the last three weeks alone. You had Savage versus the Giant. You had Savage versus Flair. Now you have Hogan versus Flair. That's just the last three weeks. That I can't remember any further back off the top of my head, but those stick out to me immediately. It's it's insane. And we get a spot early on in this match. Ric Flair whips Hulk Hogan into the guardrail. Hogan no-sells it. Bounces off him like they're ropes and clotheslines Flair on the floor. Back inside, Ric Flair finally takes over control with a clip to Hogan's leg. And figure four time. But Hogan winds up turning it over. Jimmy Hart comes down to ringside, distracting Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair takes back over once again. Flair with an impressive delayed suplex on Hulk Hogan, of all people. Crazy to think, 
and Hulk has to no-sell it, using that move as a way to Hulk up. And so now Hogan begins to Hulk up, and it's weird watching him Hulk up with no fan noise whatsoever. And I don't mean that there's no noise. I just mean it's your regular crowd buzz. There's no booing. There's no cheering. I don't know that I've ever seen Hogan Hulk up, and the crowd noise didn't change one decibel from the noise they were making prior to him hulking up. It was really scary to see, and I could see why he's in panic mode. You just never thought you would see the day this would happen with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. And the thing is, is the problem is, is that the person who's in panic mode is blaming everything else around him for why he's not getting over. It's not his fault at all. It's everything else around him. I mean, take yourself out of these situations, back up a little bit, let people breathe and go a week, uh, you know, go a five, 10, 25, 30 minute segment without seeing Hulk Hogan or hearing about Hulk Hogan. We get it. You're the biggest star, but at the same time, we don't have to hear or see you every five minutes. Um, And that's the biggest problem here with him. And, He's going to be the last person to realize that. I don't think he ever realized it. So, anywho, Hogan hulks up, hits the big leg drop, but Jimmy Hart up on the apron, and Hogan knocks him right off. Hogan turns around, and Arn Anderson's waiting with brass knuckles as he nails Hulk Hogan, and Hogan goes down, but he pops right back up and hulks up a second time in a matter of minutes. Hogan winds up decking Arn Anderson and takes the brass knuckles out of his trunks and shows them to referee Randy Anderson. Anderson immediately calls for the bell, and a disqualification is called in 7 minutes and 53 seconds. My question here is, who won? Hogan's the one that nailed Arn Anderson, and I would imagine by Hogan showing Randy Anderson the brass knuckles and Anderson calling for the DQ that Hogan was the winner. But if you look at results online, they all say Hogan lost because he attacks uh, a third party like Jimmy Hart and Arn Anderson, who shouldn't have been out there to begin with. It's really anybody's guess, but... Based on Hogan showing Randy the brass knuckles and Randy immediately calling for the bell, I have to think that Hogan won? I don't know. I have no clue. It makes sense that he would win just because, you know, Arn and Jimmy Hart are, uh, you know, interfering in a match. So that should be a DQ on Flair and giving Hogan the win. But if Randy Anderson didn't see any of that and he just saw Hogan with the brass knucks in his hands, I guess you can call a DQ on Hogan for having the brass knucks. Who knows? I don't think WCW cared. It was just a way to get out of the finish. Well, it doesn't get any better from there as all four horsemen run in on Hogan. It's Flair, it's Arn, it's Benoit, and Pillman. All of them running in and all of them taking shots from Hogan and the brass knuckles. And for some reason, they're not knocked out. But rather, it's four grown men, the horsemen, pleading on their knees side by side, begging Hogan not to hit them anymore. What have the horsemen come to, Steve? I uh, just, you know he booked this. I got a great idea, brother. I'm going to take out all four horsemen. Then, dudes, you're all going to stay there on your knees. You're going to beg and plead. Please, Hulk Hogan, don't hit me again, brother. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pathetic to oh watch the four horsemen. Could you imagine oh. Arn and Tully and Barry Windham and Ric Flair all begging off from Dusty Rhodes or, or Magnum TA or, or any one guy? I don't care if he had a pair of brass knuckles. There's four guy, four grown men, four top elite stars, your horsemen, all begging off at the same time. Another easily, you can tell who booked this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, again, it goes back to it. This is the problem. You're booking yourself way too strong and people are tired of it. 
That's not so, even the word for it. You, I don't even know if booking yourself strong, you can call it booking. I don't even know what the hell you call this. And it didn't even end there is, because then as he's threatening to kill all four horsemen, the giant comes to the ring with a fucking bar stool. I have no idea where he found a bar stool in the arena, but he's out here with a bar stool. And Randy Savage is right behind the giant, yanks the bar stool away. So Hogan pops the giant, boom, one punch, and the giant bumps to the floor. So Hogan just managed to take out all four horsemen and the giant in a matter of a minute or two. Unfucking believable. Somebody had to put their foot down, needed to put their foot down, and tell them, enough is enough, man. Jesus. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, man. This is, this is just utter ridiculous. You got to have strong contenders to to your throne, which is you, and he's doing everything he can to bury all of them. But you got to remember, Steve Hogan knows that deep down inside, he knows that he had Earthquake take him out. He had Zeus take him out. He knew he needed to go down in order to come back and get that revenge. The issue here is he's in such panic mode that he's not over that he thinks the only way to get over is to book himself killing everyone every week. And this week, he really went overboard basically destroying the entire heel roster in, in a matter of minutes. <laughs> this is what happens when you give a guy control of his character and what goes on. Because if he's panicking, this is what he's going to do. Right? It's, all, it's what he knows. And um, you've got to have checks and balances, and obviously they don't have that here. Uh, you've talked about how people are afraid to throw punches in the matches. It just looks cartoony and fake. So the, the wrestlers don't want to hurt him. They don't want to do anything in the ring to make it look somewhat decent. Nobody probably wants to say anything in the back. You know people are pissed off. You got it. You have to. Like, how how the hell can Ric Flair go to the back and be happy that him, Arn, Benoit, <laughs> and Pillman just were on their knees begging off Hogan? All he had was brass knucks. Low blow the dude from behind and take control. You're the freaking horseman. Right. Figure out yeah. a way. You always did before. And then, then you throw in the seven-foot giant who is a giant, and if he's protected – is going to be your big money match. And he looks like a complete joke. Yeah. And the giant I mean, wasn't just, done though. They, they did have it to where the giant was trying to get back in the ring. He wanted back at Hulk Hogan, but it's the Zodiac, uh, Brutus beefcake, the Zodiac from the dungeon of doom, holding the giant back, shouting things like, no, no friend hurt, hurt. Made me think like he was going to be the new George, the animal steel. And that actually might have worked better than the Booty Man gimmick anyway. I could see the Zodiac doing a George Steele gimmick. Good guy, baby face, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But anything's better than the Booty Man. But So we get our first taste, our first look at the, the baby face turn of the Zodiac, which really never is really explained outside of, you know, they say that he was working undercover the entire time. But if he was working undercover, why was he giving away here that he's friends with Hulk Hogan? So none of this really made any sense to me as the Zodiac was um, somehow able to hold the giant back. <laughs> Makes sense. Hogan's boy, you know, uh, he's in on the bearing too, I guess. Good Lord. This is, uh, my note here was what a disaster. This was a <laughs> utter disaster. It's not a disaster in the fact that it's bad. It made, it, it worked for what they put out there, but what they put out there should have never been out there. And that's what the disaster was. It's just incredible that they would let somebody have this much control. And he's not even giving you the return on your investment. And we're in the era of Nitro where every show has to close with a Hogan promo. This week, no different. Uh, And Mean Gene in the ring. 
talks to the Hulkster and the Macho Man. Hogan says he and Savage have the same issues. They're feuding with the same people. So Hogan wants to book it next week. Hogan and Savage versus Arn and Flair. The issue is laid out and the crowd really not into Hulk here. There's some boos being heard here as Hulk Hogan speaks, but not so much when Randy Savage speaks. Randy Savage says they have secret weapons and we haven't seen them yet. And Hogan says, don't give away the secret weapons, brother. I'm assuming they're referring to Zodiac. I don't really know. But by the time Hogan issues the challenge and they cut back to Bischoff as they close the show, Bischoff announces that Flair and Arn have already accepted the match. And I just thought, wow, that was that took like 15 seconds. And I don't know who okayed it, but apparently that's the main event for next week on Nitro. Hogan okayed it. He's writing the show, buddy. He's um, writing his segments anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said if they don't have the guts, and they'll take on all four of the horsemen. So that's a good summation of what Hogan just did to the horsemen and the giant. But uh, my last note on this was what a shit booking job this was. Segment of the week time. Who you got? You got Macho Man versus Zarn Anderson. I know you said you liked that match. Ben Juan Regal had a fun one. Odd finish, but a pretty solid, snug match. And then, of course, this Hogan and Flair fiasco here. Your segment of the night. I, I went with Randy and Arn. Uh, I thought it was a solid match. We had a finish, which I, I was kind of surprised by that. I figured there'd be a run-in. Again, like I said earlier, it's pretty cool seeing these two in the ring, even though it is in the cartoony world of WCW. I can just imagine the matches these two could have had in 89, you know, 90. Right. And uh, in, in, in an NWA environment. Oh, my Lord. Well, let's go. Give me a six-month feud of that. But um, this was a solid match, even though it was 95 instead of 89. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm immediately eliminating Hogan and Flair from my list of uh, segment of the nights, but um, I think Benoit Regal could easily be the segment of the night if they were able to do what they can do. And they did a little bit of it here, but it wasn't really everything that you would expect out of these two. And then the finish was really flat for me. So I too, I'm going to go Macho Man and Arnie Anderson because it was a, a good combination of solid wrestling match, solid storytelling. And then we actually got a finish on top of it. So I'm going to go with Macho Man and Arn as well. Can I add something to that real quick? Sure. When you see a match like this, like you can see like what WCW could have done if they would have just got rid of the cartoon crap and just went back to the basics. Just do your solid wrestling matches and normal stories and get rid of this Hogan shit. Make him work. And they could have had <laughs> That's a not tremendous happening. product. They could have had a tremendous product. Sure. And just because of the talent involved, and you could have had some classic matches with Nacho and Arn and those guys like consistently with some heat behind them. Not meant to be, I guess. No. And it's that time, Steve. The ratings are in, and for the very first Monday Night War rating of 1996 on January 1st, the WWF squeaks out the first win in weeks over WCW with a 2.6 rating and a 3.8 share to WCW's 2.5 rating and 3.7 share. So WCW is still staying right around that 2.5 on an average though, which is, which is solid at this point to have, have a nice average, especially at 2.5 when, when the guy who beats you is only a a 10th of a point higher. What would Vince do for a 2.6 today? Oh my (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, it's still crazy to me that there was a audience this large for both companies at the same exact time. You know, five ratings combined is right. watching wrestling on Monday. And it's just, man, what they had and they let it slip away is uh, very sad. 
and we'll talk about the real winner here. Was it uh, the Monday Night Raw and the Raw Bowl? Was the Raw Bowl pageantry enough to beat out a typical night of WCW action for you? Uh, yeah, I, I went with Raw. Um, the, the Raw Bowl, it was different. I still remember it today. So that tells you that not necessarily the impact, but just how different it was for the time. Because you remember the different things, not the the redundancy. Um, all these nitros look the same because they're kind of are the same. Right. And Especially so right now. Stuck out. Yeah, right now. Absolutely. I just thought the, the booking made sense. They were able to hype up their next pay-per-view. They got the Rumble participants out there. Uh, kind of give you a feel of what they're going to have there. Diesel destroyed Mabel to just further his trajectory to where he's heading. We got the billionaire Ted vignettes, which this one was one of the better ones. And then you had the vignette with Vader. I mean, it was just a very solid show, and you got a pay-per-view match. Obviously, we didn't talk too much in detail about that one, but Nitro has had a really good show on their hands until they got to the main event, and then that last <laughs> interview. Uh, if oh, yeah. You cut that out, it would have been a lot closer. That was a stink fest at the end, so there's no way I could pick Nitro there. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go with Raw, too, and it's not like be, it's not because they had better wrestling action. I think you could argue that Nitro with Savage and, and Arn and, and Benoit and Regal, they put on more better matches overall, possibly. I mean, you could argue that, but I think Raw did a really good job. They cheated a little bit, used the match from the pay-per-view in your house, so you got to count that, but the Raw Bowl match, interesting concept. The whole look was different. Diesel beating Mabel in, in a matter of eight seconds, that was a huge deal at the time. We really didn't see that coming because – we didn't know Mabel was on his way out of the company. So that was yeah. everything about it really was a very different feel. And you felt like you were moving into a different world in the WWF at this point. So I'm going to go with uh, the raw bowl episode of Monday night raw as well here. And that'll wrap up this week's edition of Monday war for the battles within. We're going to come back again with two more weeks of nitro and two more weeks of raw. And when we do, we're going to build closer to the Royal rumble. And of course, clash of the champions. It'll be our first ever Royal rumble watch along. I've never done a watch along of the Royal rumble before. That should be fun. Yeah. It's new for me too. Obviously I would never choose 96 first. Uh, there's some better ones out there, but, uh, I, I, I did get 96 on pay-per-view, so uh, it's, it's something from the childhood. So I'm definitely looking forward to get, reviewing that with you. Can't wait to see it. Are we going to do the Clash as well? Oh, man. that's You're asking for a little bit too much there, but I think I think we can get it done. I, th- I think I can power, power through that. I don't remember it uh, fondly, but we can, we can get it done. Well, we do get the debut of the public enemy, so it can't be all that bad, right? Oh, yeah. They, well, they, do they wrestle the Nasty Boys? I can't remember. I can't remember the card either. I'm trying to figure out. If <laughs> you can see that we don't do a lot of research ahead. You know, it's uh, it's <laughs> literally, I like to do do it as we go because I don't really want to know everything that's coming up. I want to look at it more as a fan. And remember, I lived all this. I know you lived it too, but I lived all this. And I just, I don't remember every single thing as it happened. I do remember most things, but a lot of my historian-esque life is, is built around learning from eras prior to the 90s. So, because I, I lived the '90s, so I don't really try to deep dive back into what I actually lived through, and so I don't necessarily remember everything that happened. But uh, I do, I do remember portions of this uh, upcoming Clash of the Champions. Anyway, I'm also trying to talk about it without giving away too much for those people that haven't seen it, maybe 25, sure. 30 years, and sure. uh, or may have never watched it at all. So, uh, we, I, I have a pretty good idea of what happens on that show, but uh, again, I don't want to spoil <laughs> it. So. Um, We'll figure it out, and you'll they will know when we know if we're going to do the Clash Watch Along. 
Yeah, I'm sure we will. I'm sure it'll be on. I'm sure it'll be out there on Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. It's just part of the show at this point. Now, you guys, I know we get a lot of praise online. I've had some DMs, some really, really great conversations with some of our subscribers, um, putting over some of the wrestling memory grenade watch-alongs that we've done over the course of the NWA 1989. So if you haven't listened to those, go and check those out over at, at Wrestling Grenade. You can listen to our shows pretty much everywhere. You can listen just like you listen to Monday Monday Warfare everywhere from Spotify, Stitcher, Google Pod, uh, Apple, pretty much anywhere you can think of out there. We're on it. Check out the watch-alongs there. Give you an idea of what we're like. We try to do a little bit of information based with uh, mixed with uh, entertainment. So it's it's a it's a fun time every time, and that's no different with all the other watch-alongs that we do on Patreon. So, yeah, I think we can knock out Clash. We're definitely going to handle the Rumble, and we're going to keep moving forward here with the Monday Night War. So, Steve, once again, thank you for joining me. It was another fun two weeks of Raw and Nitro as we get through the holidays, moving to 96. Yeah, um, moving right along here, man. It's, it's uh, I'm excited to see what's coming up. But again, like we're, we're, we're talking about hundreds of shows combined between the two <laughs> companies that there's no way anybody can remember everything from every show. Yeah, it's it's a fun time, man. I'm glad we're doing this, and uh, I can't wait to the next one. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're 18 weeks through the Monday Night War at this point, and that means something like 34 wow. shows minus two raw two weeks that Raw didn't air. So we're 34 shows in to the Monday Night War right now, and uh, it's moving fast. So uh, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing that for you guys, and uh, we might take a week off. We might not here. I'll, I'll announce that when, when I know a little more, I'm, we might need a refresher week here in January to try to catch up on some other things and get some new things moving. You guys stay tuned and, and I'll let you guys know in advance if that's something that needs to happen. But anyway, Steve, once again, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening once again to Monday Warfare, the battles within. 